If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. These kids were so excited. To see them begin coding on their own, to see them open the box with Root and say, I'm holding a robot, and then to make it move, I can't think of very few things that rival that. This robot was in a classroom, just not in a teaching capacity. And it kind of was just like, ooh, what if kids could drive the robot around the whiteboard? And then it was, what if kids could learn how to code other things with the robot? So let's build your very first program and maybe make our robot light up or maybe make our robot move. And what kind of power is behind that? And how much fun when what we're talking about is a robot designed for discovery, play, and creativity as it teaches coding to learners ages 4 through 99. That's iRobot's root coding robot. Among the things it can do, flash colors, navigate spaces, that includes traveling vertically, and play music. Its coding starts with simple drag-and-drop programming. Lisa Freed is iRobot STEM program manager, Rebecca Atia is a senior learning experience designer, and Anna Elzer is a learning designer at iRobot. Lisa, Rebecca, and Anna, I realize I'm talking to a civil engineer, an award-winning artist slash filmmaker who's also a teacher, and an award-winning teacher who's also an artist. But what I would like to know is, how did robotics first capture your imagination as an area in which you really wanted to use your talents? Wow. That is a great question. I, for me, to be very honest, I never envisioned myself working in robotics. I went to school when they really weren't a thing. Colin and I are actually peers. So if you consider that he was inventing robots when I was in school as well, it never dawned on me. And the opportunity arose, though, because iRobot is so passionate about STEM education and getting kids exposed to tech. When the opportunity came up that I could take all that passion that I have and do it as a full-time job, it was a no-brainer. And the robots were just an added bonus because it's an ability to really get kids excited. It's mm-hmm. wonderful to get to do something that you love. Speaking of which, Rebecca, you designed the learning experiences, but how did you first get involved in robotics? Ooh, I love these questions. So back when I was in school, I got connected. I was studying education design and I got connected with the Maker Education Foundation and ended up doing a residency at the Children's Creativity Museum through them over in San Francisco. And my job for the summer was to just design hands-on workshops for little, little ones, ages two to eight. And they had a robotics lab with a company that is still around today. And I had so much fun like playing. That was my first exposure to robotics at all. So I was learning alongside the two-year-olds and figuring out what was fun. And that's really where everything took off was in that lab. Yeah. What a cool experience. Mm -hmm. Anna, how about you? Robots and you, how'd that happen? Yeah, robots and me. My love story, right? My robot love story. So 
Prior to joining the team at iRobot, I was helping coordinate a makerspace, a movement city through the Clubhouse Network. And we launched our robotics program as requested by students. And I had limited experience with robotics and coding, but knew how to gather and energize employee volunteers who would be excited about this. And so we got connected with a dear friend who also worked at iRobot. And so she came in and was helping to lead this program with a series of other volunteers that were all engineers. So my passion is teaching and education. And I think robotics is just the most complimentary tool to help make teaching and education come alive. We'll look more at that in depth as we look at the root robot. This is a seriously cute robot. It has a yellow nose, eyes. It looks like it could smile. And it's for ages four to 99. Mm -hmm. Would you tell me the story of the root robot? Where did it come from? How did iRobot have it come on board? I think for the genesis of the robot, it almost would be better if Rebecca, because you she's been with Root longer actually than I have. iRobot sure. acquired Root. And so I know, Rebecca, you want to tell where it began? Yeah. If you want to take over where we intersect, that would be awesome. Cool. So I joined the startup that created the robot about maybe two or three years after Root was born in a Harvard research lab by somebody named Raphael Cherney. And he was working with a professor there, Radhika Nagpal. And they partnered up with another one of our team members, Z Dubrovsky. And his challenge was originally just to build a little robot that was going to clean the professor's whiteboard. That was all he was planning on doing. And at that same time, they were seeing robots being used in classrooms. And this robot was in a classroom, just not in a teaching capacity. But it was drawing a lot of attention and people were really excited about it. And Raphael was trying to make it very usable, user-friendly. And it kind of was just like, ooh, what if kids could drive the robot around the whiteboard? And then it was, what if kids could learn how to code other things, you know, with the robot? And then from there, it just took off. They built a team around it, and then they ended up building a custom app, its own language, all of that good stuff. Yeah, and then it started hitting homes in 2018, fall of 2018, I believe. We started getting it into the hands of families. The magical Mm -hmm. what if led to some wonderful things. Exactly. Lisa, what do you remember best about when the robot came on board at iRobot? So we had been thinking about educational robots. We have an educational robot, the Create, but that's really geared at college students, researchers, maybe an upper level high school student. And so we had been brainstorming, you know, what could we do in a younger space because STEM has to begin younger. Students need to be exposed to this stuff elementary school, even pre-K. So we had been envisioning what it could be when we learned about Root. They had a team. They had, you know, a Rebecca with the learning library. They were hiring more people like Anna. It seemed to check all the boxes for us. And so bringing them into the fold at iRobot to pair with our existing STEM program, it just worked. And one of the things that we do best is to find things that just work, you know. So we brought them on board. We formed, you know, what was at the time two teams. We had iRobot STEM, which was really focused on the outreach portion, getting into schools. We had iRobot Root, 
which was, let's use this coding robot, let's sell it into families. About, gosh, less than a year in, which is about exactly the time we all got sent home, we all said, you know what, we need to be one thing. And so iRobot Education was born and we launched a website the basically second week of pandemic formed a team with you know a group of people that had never really worked together and learned how to work together while all of us were separate so i think it speaks a lot to the the power of this team and to their ability to grow but also the belief in the product and the belief in this is really what we're here to do we are here for those kids we're here mm-hmm. for the educators and that's what we want to be I was going to ask this later, but let's be sure and give a resource link right now for the educators who are going to want to check this out. Where do they see all these great lessons and everything? Go for it, Anna. You can check us out on edu.irobot.com and find our learning library there. Also our coding interface at code.irobot.com. edu.irobot.com, code.irobot.com. Check them out. But first of all, Anna, you are writing a lot of these lessons, some pretty incredible things. What was that like for you when you first started writing curricula for a robot that's going to be appropriate for age four up to 99? Yeah, that's a fabulous question and something that I think we have to keep in the forefront of our minds every time we design something is that who is our audience, right? We have teachers who have never thought of themselves as someone who can teach coding or handle a robot. And we have teachers who have been doing this for years who are wide expertise beyond Rebecca and myself. So I think it comes back to how do you have fun and keep this in an accessible and engaging way that celebrates play, celebrates curiosity, and really brings in the strengths of educators and all users who are going to be designing and sharing this with their students in their classrooms and in their homes. I love that. How do you have fun? I'm looking over some of your lessons. I saw Kind Playground, which I really liked. I saw Avoiding the Ghosts. What's some of the creative inspiration for you when you're writing this? That's a great question too. So I guess, let's see, creative inspiration forever comes from thinking about how students and how young people are going to be engaging and interacting with these lessons. So being able to share with teachers and then being able to have feedback from them on this worked really well. And this, here's how we can tweak and here's feedback we have for you on how to make this better and enhance the experience. But it always comes back to how is it going to feel as a young person being able to, to code your robot to avoid ghosts in this playscape that we've designed or making real life connections from things you encounter on the playground to things that you're now trying to code and communicate with through a robot. So for me, it always comes back to the young people and how this might be their very first experience with coding or with robotics in general. What if you're mentoring a teacher and this is her first experience with coding in general? She's a little intimidated. What lesson would you suggest she start with that's going to be fun and get her really hooked? Great question. Rebecca, back me up on this one. For me, I would definitely support and say, like, have fun exploring on your own first, right? What kind of discoveries can you start to make by opening up a brand new coding interface and just start dragging in blocks. So let's build your very first program and maybe make our robot light up or maybe make our robot move. And what kind of power is behind that? And just a simple drag one block in and all of a sudden you've you've coded your first program. It's as simple and as easy as that. And then once you gain some experience, like jump into any of these activities and these lessons and see what is energizing for you and how can you communicate and share that same passion with your students. 
I think you're going to get a lot of people hooked on the root robot. Let's do something fun here. I have a root robot here in my imagination. We take it out of the box. I've got a five-year-old at home who's going to be going off to college, and we've got the whole family we're going to get involved. What can this root robot do? And I'd love to hear from all three of you on this one that's going to get everybody coding and playing. Fun. I'll kick us off. So I think one of my favorite parts about working with robots, you know, in the physical world, as we're learning about coding, is it takes the code off the screen and it puts it right in front of everyone so that everyone can participate. That's the magic of working with robotics in education, I think. So I'll start. There's so many things everyone can do. I'll start with drawing because I think that's another way that code can be made physical. So our robot can lower and raise a marker, which is fun. And we send folks a dry erase foldable whiteboard that goes with it. So you can work with your family to draw different things. We have guides in our app for like how to draw a smiley face or a star or snowflakes, depending on the season. So, you know, you can get started with like four blocks and start making shapes right away. And then from there, you can grow to make incredibly advanced drawings as well. So it really engages everybody depending on how comfortable they are, how old they are, and just how much time they want to invest in their project. So I'd say drawing is my favorite. And I love when you talk about code, we're not talking about zero, zero, one, one, one. We're talking Mm -hmm. about block, block, block. Absolutely. Lisa, what else could we do? We have this imaginary robot. We're drawing with it. What else can it do that's going to get everybody engaged? So my background's engineering. Engineering is problem solving. Engineering Mm. is looking at something and saying, well, where did it come from? And how do I get to the next step? And so one of the things that we've found really engaging, particularly because we're in a virtual world, right, is to look at the code, you know, before Rebecca hits go to draw it, but to look at the code and say, what do I think it's going to draw? And so we've actually done a whole robot Pictionary exercise where we can provide a way to code, say it's square, you know, just a square but then ask you by looking at those blocks, what do you think is going to happen? And that's been really fun. And I should add, you know, if we, if in our imaginary code night, we get really smart, we can progress beyond those blocks and we can start using text and we can start using Python. I think I saw three levels of learning on your website, didn't I? Yep. Mm-hmm. For coding. <laughs> Can I chime in and talk about that a little bit? Please. I think that is the bread and butter. And I have a, I mean, that's my, how I first fell in love with this robot and this coding interface. We have learning levels ranging one, two, and three, right? So our first learning level is completely graphical based and you navigate with blocks, drag them in. They magnetically attach to one another. Level two introduces a hybrid. So we have some text that's there and also some blocks. And then you scale up to level three and it's completely full text based, based in Python, which is fantastic because you can easily translate from a level one program to a level two, to a level three in live time. So for me, that sweet spot is that level two to level three, you can see someone start to translate. When I was working with students, 
we were very comfortable in something that looked like a level two interface. But once you started to introduce something in a professional coding language, students immediately were like, nope, this isn't what I'm used to. I'm this, I, I don't like this. This is, you can easily break your program with forgetting a semicolon or closing a bracket. And it can be heartbreaking for a student especially for someone who's just starting off. But I think if you look at level one, something so simple and playful to what professional folks are using in a level three basis, that is, it just represents the power that you have and what you can communicate and build through a simple coding interface. I think the, my favorite piece of a family code night as well is also thinking about the different features that Root has. Rebecca mentioned drawing. Lisa tapped into the inquiry-based opportunities that you have with coding, but there are lots of other functionality that we offer, including music. So if you have students who, who maybe their passion is they have a musical instrument that they play or they love to sing, our robot also introduces, you have the full eight octaves on the piano and you can start to code really simple or intricate songs through the robots. You can have a robot dance party. You can make root light up as well. So there's lots of there's lots of invitations and opportunities to to have folks start coding. This sounds like an absolute blast with the root. Lisa, I was curious about the ways that you're making this successful, because that's really been an issue previously. How is iRobot reaching out to students who maybe would not normally be able to get a hold of the root robot? A bunch of ways, I think, is the best answer. We'll start with the most traditional basic is that Our remote learning has become accepted. We were always doing remote video tours and conversations with students, but it was always the, well, I guess we can try this. And now it's a way of learning. And so throughout this entire last year, we've been able to have video chats through Zoom with classrooms all around the country. And when we do that, we're playing Robot Pictionary, we're showing them robots, we're bringing Root out and just showing coding so they get a feel for the interface. What's nice is that if we do that, we can have them be on our simulator so they could be trying it. So I think that you know, step one is the most traditional. Hey, you're in New Jersey, jump on a Zoom, let's have a conversation. Step two is that we've reached out as a robot to a few after-school groups that we know focus on STEM learning, but they're in a diverse community. And these are students that would not be getting these resources, their school systems don't provide them. And so now with these after-school groups, we've been able to work directly with these students and get them, you know, their hands-on robots, they're using the simulator, and they're doing things they would not otherwise be able to do. When you mentioned the simulator, are we talking about the same thing? I was coding earlier with a virtual robot. Is that what that simulator is? Exactly. So it's it's almost everything you would do with a physical robot, but you don't need to have the physical robot. And you know, for some students, that may be a challenge right now. They're not. They're just getting back to school in Massachusetts. The rest of the country is behind that, so we can't rely that they will have the physical resources. What's next for iRobot and for the Root Robot? I'd love to know about outreach, about designing learning experiences, and about curriculum from each of you. Who would like to start? I'll chat about learning experiences. You know, in this next year, we're really looking at how we can best support our teachers. So we have this library of 
really fun, engaging games, lessons, different curriculum elements that are just built. And I feel like it can be a little bit intimidating for some teachers to say, okay, well, where do I get started? So I'm really excited to start investing a lot of our time and attention to bringing teachers on who are new to coding altogether, really supporting them every step of their journey and giving them the right tools to support the full range of learners in their classroom for students that are brand new to this and students that are like rearing to go and, you know, just taking off with it. So that's where we're focusing next. I'm really excited. And I'm assuming that the teachers can access with those two links we gave before any new updates, anything of that nature. And absolutely. How about the curriculum? Yeah, so our curriculum is always advancing. So obviously we're adding new activities constantly to the learning library. So that gets populated. It also shows up in our app. So the iRobot coding app, you'll see new activities populate in there as well. In terms of curriculum, we're building out a level two and level three. We're always adding to support users who are going beyond level one. So that's on the horizon coming up. But I also wanted to mention we have an ambassador program. So if folks are really jazzed about technology in their classroom, or maybe they're not, and they want to find avenues to be able to support that, we feature a cohort that runs parallel with the school year here. So we'll be opening up a call for applications in the summer, and you get an opportunity to provide us feedback with new activities, new curriculum that we're designing, things that are working well in your classroom, They're really ambassadors are our go-to group of experts who can give us that real-time feedback. So really great to have them on board. So if folks are interested, they can take a peek on our website. We'll have more information coming up about that as well. I guess the last thing as well for upcoming things, we have our learning design webinar series that'll be launching this summer. So folks are interested in exciting new topics and content on how to use Root with students at home. Rebecca and I work really closely with other members on our team to curate a really nice experience for folks throughout the summer. So there's some really great opportunities for additional learning there as well. And to access both of those, would those be the links that we gave before or is there a different link? Yeah, they'll definitely be posted on our website. We can share a link to sign up for our newsletter as well. If folks would be interested in that too, we can put that below. What's the link for your newsletter? So if folks are interested in signing up for our newsletter to hear about all this cool stuff right when it's coming out, it would be edu.irobot.com slash sign up. And that sign dash up, if I'm looking at that correctly. Mm-hmm. Great. Folks can also access that through our social media platform. So you can follow us at mm-hmm. irobot education. There'll be, there's always new information coming out there. So anything from our ambassador program to upcoming webinars to new activities, that we're releasing, you can find that on our social media platforms. iRobot Education. Lisa, what else is coming up that's really exciting for The Root and for iRobot's educational outreach? You know, our program makes use of all these great resources. And the more resources we add, the more we're able to offer. We actually have a museum at iRobot as well. The museum chronicles about 30 years of our history, which really is 30 years of robotics history. The museum underwent a full renovation down to the studs of the walls, and we should be able to bring that up just before summer. And we'll be doing some virtual tours to begin with. When students are local and we feel a little safer about it, we'll be bringing them back into the museum. 
But virtual tours should be really exciting. We're going to give them similar to Zoom, but through a robot. And so you will be on Zoom on a moving robot and walking with me through the museum. Oh, I love this one. Are you going to text me and let me know when this comes up so we can tell everybody? I, be, I think you're going to hear me shouting. I'm so excited to bring this out. <laughs> You'll have to shout loudly. I'm in California. but That's okay. Once again, you can sign up for the newsletter at edu.irobot.com slash sign dash up. Or follow iRobot on their social media platforms for their latest updates at iRobot Education. What has been the absolute most fun creatively, or maybe one of the most fun experiences, because that's not a very fair question, that you've had in working with the Root Robot? So I'd say shortly after we got acquired by iRobot, our team, we got invited to host an employee-wide competition. And that is where Avoid the Ghosts came to be. So we had employees all from our headquarters in Bedford come and create teams and compete by coding against each other. We had these like vertical whiteboards and we had our robots driving on them, avoiding ghosts and erasing dots in a maze. It was just so much fun. And we had employees from all sorts of areas of the company, not just software developers, but people from finance and HR and marketing. And that was really cool to see everyone celebrate our product and step out of their comfort zone and get really silly with it and like, you know, throw down some smack talk and all that stuff. It was, it was really, it was really fun. So I was envisioning the head of sales and marketing screaming for their robot to beat the other robot. That's great. Yes. Yeah. How about you, Anna? That's a great memory that I also share with Rebecca and Lisa as well. I think I was dressed up in a referee jersey trying to corral everyone. So it's a lot of fun. And when we're back in the office and even obviously as we're remote, we figure out ways to to test and to run beta projects on activities that we think are really fun. Similarly, my most fun, most creative experience is there are many, but I'll talk about one that happened recently through another experience. So for Bring Your Kids to Work Day 2020, we are all still remote. Our team came with a brilliant idea to how do we celebrate? And so we designed a pizza challenge and kids and families of iRobot, iRobot families were able to code a slice of pizza and then submit it for a win a pizza night for your family. So we were internally judging who had the best slice of pizza. And it was so much fun. And for folks that were able to participate, there were some amazing slices, whole pizzas that came in. And so that's been really, it was really unique and a wonderful, delightful experience that we've now been able to take and transform for schools as family code nights. So we just hosted one last night virtually. I was able to come in virtually but with a school in Kentucky, who's one of our ambassadors, and they had over 30 families show up and everyone from first time coders to students who've been coding this entire year was able to come together and share some pizza, but also code some. So really unique and wonderful opportunities to to create with code and to have some fun. I have to ask, how in the world do you code a slice of pizza? Well, Dot, you can totally do it too. You just have to decide, do you want a slice? Do you want a whole pizza? What are your toppings going to be? It's a lot of trial and error, dragging in blocks and 
pressing play and debugging in real time. Oh, this didn't work. I want my pepperoni slice to look more like this. So it's really amazing to see students step up and facilitate those opportunities, which is what happened last night. So my education has been sadly neglected until I talked to you because I never thought of coding pizza before. Lisa, what's one of the most fun things that you've done? Well, beside the fact that when these guys came into iRobot, they're brand new. And then we tell them, by the way, we do these things like take your kid to work day and there's going to be a hundred kids in the building and we need an activity. You know, that's always fun to take the new people and just throw them right in there. I'm going to, I'm in a very different direction, but we also have a partnership with the National Society of Black Engineers. And with that partnership, we have given robots to a group of students who are at a community center in an underserved area. And then we did a weekend workshop with them. And we spent a Saturday trying to teach these kids with their parents how to code. And to begin with, it was supposed to be an hour workshop on a Saturday. And at two hours, Anna and myself and my coworker thought, you know, we need to go now. These kids were so excited. But to see them begin coding on their own, to see them open the box with Root and say, I'm holding a robot, and then to make it move, I can't think of very few things that rival that. So to know the difference that we made for these kids and that they are still, this is months ago, they're still at it. They're, you know, still coding. That's exactly what it's about, isn't it? Changing the future with innovation. Wow. It was super exciting. As we wrap up here, the signature question I usually ask for my podcast is if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want them to take away from your work? And I'll start with you, Lisa. I guess, let's, how do I phrase it properly? There's room for everybody. That technology is so broad that, you know, Anna's a teacher with an art background, right? Rebecca's a learning designer. Those are not traditional STEM fields, but there's room for everybody at a tech company. And so just think about what your passion is. Think about what you love to do. And then figure out where can I fit in? We have marketing, sales, accountants, lawyers. I'm a civil engineer. I'm at a robot company. Find your place, but follow that passion and get it done. You know, it took me, I will just say more than 25 years for my passion to become my job. But this is the best thing that ever happened. (laughs) I totally relate to that one. Rebecca, how about you? There are many things. I'm torn between two, but I'll pick one, which is always keep learning. Often I say nobody knows what they're doing. uh, But what I mean by that is there's always so much more that anyone could be learning at any time. And to just celebrate being a learner and take joy in practicing and trying new things. And if you foster that attitude there's no limit to what you can do. And you are such a joy to work with when you have an attitude of, I'm not sure, but I can learn. Yeah. So I'd say that's what I try to foster every day. Lifelong learning is the absolute best. Anna, how about you? Agreed. Wow. Such beautiful sentiments from two of the most amazing people I get to work with. I think, so for me, speaking to young people, speaking to teachers, speaking to anybody is, we have, we're inundated with technology for better, for worse, right? And 
I think we have a conscious choice on how we use that. And so my, my thought is what we talk about often is finding opportunities to create rather than just consume and being an active practitioner in, in how you are contributing to the world that you want to see happen around you. Lisa, Rebecca, and Anna, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You and I have been listening to Lisa Freed, Anna Elzer, and Rebecca Atiyah of iRobot. Lisa is iRobot's STEM program manager. She's also a civil engineer with numerous honors and awards for both engineering and educational outreach. Meanwhile, Anna, who is an iRobot learning designer, is a multiple award-winning education professional and a graphic artist. And Rebecca is an iRobot senior learning experience designer, as well as a graphic designer, maker, and educator. Check out iRobot's learning resources at edu.irobot.com. That's edu.irobot.com. And get a look at their coding interface at code.irobot.com. A lot of really cool stuff. That's code.irobot.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us, twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at Pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.